0: Father, we do thank you for who you are. We thank you, God, that, that, that Lord, you have revealed your, your glorious character to us through your word. Thank you that we can, we can rejoice and delight in you because of of uh, you've revealed yourself to us lord it's more than just doctrine and it's more than just teaching but it's 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 the fact that you have have revealed your very nature and your very character to us lord through your word and so father we pray that you would teach us about yourself and you would teach us of what that means uh in our own lives of who we are as followers of you and, and what, does that, what does that mean in the sense that, that because we've been reconciled to you, that we've been reconciled to one another, and that how then we should live as your people, as your body, as your church. And so, Father, we pray that you would teach us these things for your glory and for the good of your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome, everyone. We've been talking about the church. That's our our unit we've been talking about. We've started by saying that, again, the church is a place. Not a place. It's a people, not a place. I always do that. It's a people, not a place. It's not just any people. It's a regenerate people. And it's not just any scattered group of regenerate people. It's actually an assembled or a gathered people. That's what the church is. It's the gathering of God's people. And we saw, what is it that marks out the church? And we saw that historically, and also coming right through Matthew 16, there are two marks that, that mark out the true church. And one is the, the preaching of God's word, the right preaching of God's word. It's the gospel confession that marks out the church, as well as the gospel confessors as marking out the people who make up that church which we see, the Bible does, uh, marks that out by baptism and the Lord's Supper. Those ordinances, those things that are ordained or commanded by Jesus Christ to be practiced by those who would follow him in his church. We looked at baptism, which is the symbol for entry into into Christ's church community. And then we started looking at communion or the Lord's Supper. We started looking at that two weeks ago. I thank, you, thank Elias for covering uh, and subbing in last week for um, had to, to go to an emergency elder meeting. And so. Um, but two weeks ago, we started looking really at, I would say, usually probably the more focused aspect of the Lord's Supper, and that's this redemptive context, right? This redemptive context is that Jesus uh, initiated, instituted the Lord's Supper in the midst of that Passover celebration, and so it's a looking backwards to Passover as is, is a means of looking forwards to this new exodus, this new type of Passover with this symbolism from the old Passover. But instead of, of holding up the, the bitter herbs and instead of holding up the, um, the, the, the lamb and some of these things, instead they, he held up the, the bread and the cup. Right, but it's still this idea of semblance uh, or symbol symbolism. I, 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 my coffee's still working here this morning. <laughs> symbolism, and then we're called to do this in the remembrance of, of of Him, and and there's different understandings of what Jesus meant by that within the Christian church, uh, especially that what does Jesus mean when He says, "This is my body." Our church understands it in the way that the Protestant reformer Zwingli understood that is that Jesus said, "This is my body." In the same way that, that the in Passover would use symbolism for the different elements of the Passover supper, Jesus is, is using symbolism in the same way. Um, is is that it's not that Jesus is be, it's not the bread is becoming Jesus, or is that the Jesus is suddenly more present in the bread? But it's it's because he, Jesus is everywhere. But it's, it's a sign, it's a symbol that points us to remembrance of him. And so that's, that's really this redemptive context, which as I said, that's, that's the, the context that usually is gets focused on in communion, uh, in the Lord's Supper. Any, any questions before we, we go on from there? All righty. I want to focus this morning, there's a, there's a second aspect in how the Lord's Supper is explained and that is a, I think I put corporate, you can also. I, I, I kind of like the word also community context, that there's two places in the New Testament where the Lord's Supper is, is, is taught on. One is through the Gospels where we see this redemptive context, right? When Jesus is doing this in the, in the context of Passover. But we also see, so this, this is in the Gospels, We also see that Paul extensively teaches on the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians. And that's where we're going to spend some time this morning. And if we don't finish it all this morning, we'll, we'll spend some time next week as well. But turn to 1 Corinthians. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Because in chapter 10 in part, and then more in chapter 11, Paul is, 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 is diving into what this communion is about. And, and he is recognizing the redemptive context, but he's really setting this Lord's Supper within this community context, that the Lord's Supper is not just about what Jesus did for me, but it's also what Jesus did for me in making me a part of his people, the church. And so let's, let's look at what, what Paul says here. All right, the, and I, actually, that should be, I'm sorry, the corporate work of the Lord's Supper, not word. I didn't catch that because word is actual word, right? But it should be the corporate work of the Lord's Supper. So let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to read the, this full section and then we'll break it down. But uh, I'm going to read verses 14 through 22 where Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, free from, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. So we provoke the Lord to jealousy. Are we stronger than he? So let's look at the context of this passage. This passage is not primarily dealing with the Lord's Supper. He's, he's using the Lord's Supper as part of his argument. But let's, let's make sure we understand the, the, the context here. The, the, the context starts with this command. What's the command in, in verse 14? Flee from idolatry. That's the context, right? Flee from idolatry. He, he's going he's to get around and he's going to support that command with this teaching about the Lord's Supper. But the overall theme is this flee from idolatry. He, he, he addresses that. He uses the Lord's Supper as a, a reasoning for that. We're going to get back to that. Then in verse 18, he picks that up again, and he gives the example of the Israelites under the Old Covenant. He says that they, they participated in what was offered in the altar as a sacrifice. Well, think about that. How did, how did when, when the, 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 the Israelites came to the temple— to the temple of god and they participated how did they participate in that sacrifice in what way they brought their offering they brought their offering so that there was some sort of connection right uh-huh. and and what what is it that that brought bringing signified and ownership there's an ownership or i say even more maybe an identification yeah. uh-huh. right that this is being offered in my place for my thanksgiving, or for my praise, or in place of my sin—that there's an identification with this offering. You, you guys following that? Yeah. That there's benefits that come from offering that happen because of the offering, but it happens to me because I am identifying with that offering. And so Paul's saying, "Listen, in the same way that that happened, there's an identification with the offerings in the in the in the old covenant in the temple." That's the same thing that the Corinthians are doing. They're identifying with these false gods by their participation with these, these, um, these sacrifices to idols. And, and then he clarifies the misunderstanding in verses uh, 19 and 20. And, and he's saying that it's true that pagan gods aren't really true gods, right? No, no, they're not really gods. There's only one true God, but they're demons. So you don't want to be participating With demons. You don't want to be identifying with demons. That's just not a great idea, right? And then verses 21, 22, we get that conclusion. You just can't play both sides. You can't have both both fellowship to idols and fellowship to Jesus. That's his argument to the Corinthian church. Now, in the midst of that argument, Paul grounds his reasoning for why that's important and what this this connection to Jesus is about by talking about the Lord's Supper, especially in verses 16 and 17. That's what's of interest to us. So let's go back there and see how Paul grounds that argument about fleeing from idols by grounding that in this teaching about the Lord's Supper. First notice what Paul says about the Lord's Supper in verse 16. He talks about this cup we bless and this bread we break. What's the verb tense there? Past, present, or future? Present. present. So there's, there's an implication here is that he's talking about this Lord's Supper and this Lord's Supper as a present practice of the church. Now that might seem obvious, okay, yes, but it also comes in the sense of Because we practice the Lord's Supper regularly. Does that, you know, does it just mean that everybody has? But we see even in Scripture that this Corinthian church, as probably taught by Paul, made a regular practice of participating in the Lord's Supper. They were doing what Jesus had commanded, to celebrate the bread and the cup and remembrance of him. Second, notice here, that Paul says that the bread and the cup are a what? What's the word he uses? There are what in Christ's blood or in, in His body? Sharing. A sharing or a participation. Do um, you have a, a NASB? No. Uh, uh, CSB? What, what do you? I have the New American family. New American yeah NASB. So NASB has sharing. Uh, you have participation. participation. You have ESV, right? Yeah. So ESV has participation. NIV also. NIV also has participation. Anyone have an old King? Has, oh, I shouldn't say old King James. Anyone have a King James? King James has the word, it's a communion with Christ's blood and Christ's body. That's where we would get our word communion from, right? It's from this word. And the word actually, well, not actually, but the word in Greek is koinonia, right? Which we could also sometimes translate as fellowship, right? It's this idea of that there's a sharing in, there's a participating with, there's a sharing in something with someone. That's the idea here, right? That there's a, a sharing going on, there's a participation going on, there's a communing going on. There's a you could say it's a sharing in something with someone. So that should make us ask some questions, right? Who is doing the sharing with the who? Right. That's what we should ask right here. There's this sharing, this is participating. There's this communing with this with this bread and cup. Who is doing the sharing with the who? Well, look at the context, right? Who is the one doing the sharing? What's the what's the the pronoun being used in, in there in, in those verses? We. Mm-hmm. Who's the we? The church, right? So the church is sharing with one another as the church. So who's doing the sharing? The ch- It's we do this together. We are sharing in Christ. There is a, a a corporate or community context that this communion is taking place in. And what is it that they are sharing that Paul says? They're sharing in the what? Yeah, the sacrifice. Well, you're jumping a step. The blood and body, which you're right, Tony, is picturing the sacrifice of Christ's death for us. Right, that in the same way that the Old Testament temple sacrifices were a a a there's an identification with them, and there's a benefit from they are 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 being killed is a benefit to me. as an aspect of Christ died, as I and identify with him as, as, as he is is as, as a substitute for me. Right, so that's that's what's what's going on here. Now, look how Paul uses that, which leads to this important description in verse 17. Let me read this again. Because there's one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So there's our vertical relationship with Christ necessitates a horizontal relationship with one another, right? It's actually so important. Paul addresses it twice in this one verse. Do you see that? Because there is one bread, all of us share in that one bread. What's his focus? What's Paul's focus here? Unity. The unity, the one bread, right? The church, the, the, the communion, the Lord's Supper, there is something that is important, that unity is this important aspect. It's not just about redemption. I'm not, I'm not wanting to negate redemption, but this redemption brings about a unity. That's what the Lord's Supper is, 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 is communicating here. And look at Paul's grammatical argument here. Look again at that verse. Um, that there's one bread, which is Christ represented in the Lord's Supper and the bread there. It makes the many into one. You guys know what he's saying? He's make, it makes the many one. And the question is how? How does, how does God make us who are many into one? One, into an a actual practical one body, one church together. Well, look again at that, that, that phrase there. That, that we who are many are one body. Why? How? For. You see that little word? That's important, right? For or since. Here's the reason that we who are many are seen now as one body. We all partake of the one bread. Do you you see what Paul's saying here? Paul is saying that the Lord's Supper gathers the many and makes us one. It's not just, we're not one body because we're all on the same Excel sheet as part of the same church, right? We're not one body because we're all in the same church directory together. Your picture's there and my picture's there and that's what makes us one, There is a a spiritual unity that comes from our our relationship with Christ, which is actually played out in the fact as we gather together as an entire body, partaking in that one bread together with the Lord's Supper. I, I like what Bobby Jameson says in his book on the Lord's Supper. He says, the Lord's Supper actually constitutes the local church. In the Lord's Supper, the fellowship in Christ entails us unity with one another as we are displaying that as we participate in that one loaf, that one bread together. See, we we talked before. What is it that makes a church a church? What's the difference between a church and a Bible study, or a a church and a group of Christians who like to go out and have coffee together? There's something that marks out the body. And there's two things. First, I'd say baptism, right? Baptism is what, what by publicly committing to Christ as people is where the, your faith goes public and you're binding yourself to that body. It, 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 it makes, um, it, it, makes the, the, it binds the one to the many, right? right? And then the Lord's Supper, it's like, re, it's like together we are renewing that commitment to Christ, but we're also renewing that commitment to one another, where we are, are, are picturing this local church is where we are the many are reminding ourselves that we are actually one. We are one body. We are one church. There, there, is, there is no part of us that does not need the other, mm-hmm. that, that, that we are the one body of Christ that exists in this local church. So uh, there's some... This is, he touches on this briefly here. He's going to go into it more detail in 1 Corinthians 11. But let me stop there. Questions, diluja... Comments? I had a question. Yeah. Um, I. like, some churches practice communion on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. Is there a reason we would once a okay. Yeah, I, I. You know, it's interesting. When you look at the the New Testament, we, we, we don't have a prescribed amount. So I, I know that some churches do weekly, some churches do monthly, I know some churches do quarterly. I, I've even heard of churches do it annually um because of the fact that there is no there's no prescription for that um i think that when you're saying there are certain things that, that are prescribed about when you do it there are certain and we're going to look in 1st corinthians 11 when you think about that and i think that there's i i think there are I think there's wisdom, it's, it's a wisdom choice, right? It's a, how do we want to structure our church? I think there's a lot of benefits for that. I think that there's, you know, some other challenges. I'll, I'll be honest. I think we do it once a month Is because from my understanding, we, we've just always done it once a month, um, which is typically kind of how the life of a church goes, right? Is that, that, that um, and I've, I've, I've found that, at least in my experience, um, a lot, a lot of, of younger church plants are ones that, I feel like a lot of older, more established churches tend to do it more periodically, like once a month. And then I feel like, that at least people that I've met that have planted churches are, are saying, well, we, we can kind of start this new thing, and they do it once a week. But I think in the New Testament, there's not a, a direction of, of, a, of a frequency. Um, I think there's a blessing to God's people when you do it. I think that there's a, a good thing. I, I, I mean, I, I would say at least once a month is a good thing. But I, that, yeah, there's no, there's no prescription of exactly how often. So, good question, though. Yeah. In the John 6 passage? Yeah. How does that fit in? John 6. John 6. John Oh, and the bread of life? Uh, no. That one? Is that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, Part of it, I think, you have to look at John. It's interesting when you when you go through John and you look at all the metaphors that John gives for, and you could say appropriation. I would say faith, right? That that John, I, uh, John is is um, I, I, I write these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So that's why he wrote. And but then throughout John, he doesn't just focus on. He talks about faith, but he also talks about all these images of what does it mean to to believe, right? And and there there's it means to follow, it means to listen, it means to obey, it means to 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 literally consume and partake. And that's why the Jews didn't understand um, in that sense. Now now um, the, the the Roman Catholic Church, as well as is um, uh, I'm, I'm sure, and I haven't read Luther as much, probably look at that as well. And we'll see. Jesus says literally. But even then, you look at John, and, and John, and often Jesus says, "I am the Vine Keeper, and I am the Resurrection, and I am the Light." And and, and so I think Jesus is, is using metaphor. John per- picks up a lot on Jesus' teaching through metaphor as as a picture for for spiritual life. Does there it have anything to do with communion, with the Lord's table? I don't think so. I mean, I, I probably wouldn't because I look at John, and John. In the same way, well, let me back up. I think that there are ways that you could say, does it does it foreshadow? Does it point towards the Lord's Supper? I think that you can say, sure, right? I think you can see that. I think in the same way, the feeding of the five thousand, right? There's 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 some there's some language that's picked up that's very similar to the Lord's Supper language to the fact where when when John wrote this. Um, that, that it's, it's the last gospel that was written that the Lord's supper was already being practiced by the church. Is there, is there, is there imagery that's worked in there that points towards, I think, I think you can see that. But the fact of the way that John is, is teaching it, I mean, he, he's not directly tying it into it, It's. A lot of times, it's not, he's not explicitly tying that in. I think it's implicit. I think it's it's, it's you can see that, that some context, but but John's not ex- explicitly in, in, in the sense, and, and even when he goes back and, and, he, and he and he talks about that later. So yeah. Because I think they, some of the when they persecuted the church, they accused him of cannibalism. They did, yeah, Maybe yeah, to that. Yeah, especially the Romans, if I remember. Yeah, the Romans, um, but. The they, 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 cannibalism and some other things, because yeah, they, they looked at those doctors. They they they, uh, they convicted them of, um, I believe, of, of incest because they call each other brother and sister, uh, even though and, and it's just a, yeah, obviously misunderstanding of yeah. Of, yeah. <laughs> but it is a weird. Yeah. <laughs> he says, I mean, Jesus said it. So. Yeah, and and to, to a point where it's so strong that the Jews had this 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 visceral God. reaction. Yeah, yeah, Dave. Uh, well, I was just going to comment, and it says there's uh, one bread. Mm-hmm. Breaks bread, it says, I'm the bread of life. Mm-hmm. And if you think of the context, when it was first instituted in the Passover, uh-huh. the Passover lamb. Yeah. And then I was just, you know, so it almost, you, you can almost say he's using bread and body mm-hmm. interchangeably. Yeah. There's one bread. Yeah. That's me. There's one body. I'm the body and you're the body. Yeah. And then I'm thinking, you know what, what does it say in Deuteronomy? The Lord, our God is one. 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 Hmm. Yeah. And, and I bet you he's writing this just thinking, oh, this is so good. We're one. We're one. We're one. And he's just writing this going, yeah, because God is one. Yeah. And so are we. Yeah. There's a lot of, what's the right word? Um, you can almost uh, overlapping pictures with language. We're going to see that in first Corinthians 11 as well. Yeah. Um, is that that yeah? Christ is the body that's represented by the bread that's broken. That's His body, so that we would be one body, right? And it's all the same word, and, and, and it's used in these different contexts. But in, in, a, in a sense, I think it's, it's it's good to say, well, which one is he talking about? And in some ways, it's good to distinguish. And at the other time, he's saying that 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 when we understand that there's an overlappingness, right? That that because the bread represents His body, that is is you know. The, 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 the sense that we are his body, that there's not a, a disunity, a disjunctedness, that there's a unity that comes from that. And, and yeah, there, there's, there's an overlapping, um, yeah, yeah. Which is all pointing towards this picture that the, that the Lord's Supper is not just about me and Jesus. When we take the Lord's Supper, when you take the Lord's Supper, when I take the Lord's Supper, it's not just about you and your personal time with Jesus. There's an aspect of that that is important, right? As we remember what he did for me, we remember his sacrifice for me, as we, as we look at those things. But there's an aspect where Paul is saying the Lord's Supper is about me and God's people that he has redeemed. It's a picture of our unity together. In fact, look at 1 Corinthians 11, where this is laid out so much more clear, and I would say in a, in a much stronger way. Okay, good, we, 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 we've got some time. All right. 1 Corinthians 11, uh, we're just going gonna to start. I'm, I'm going to walk verse by verse. I won't read the whole thing. We're going to start in verse, verse 17. Verse 17, where Paul writes, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Mm-mm. <laughs> because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. So Paul's admonishing the Corinthian church, right? Now let's, let's look at some clues why. Let's, look, let's try to figure out what's going on here. He says, When you come together. What's the context? Church. 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 Mm-hmm. Specifically, when? The Lord's day, I guess. Yeah, yeah. the Lord's day. When we come together. He, th- th- we see that there is a practice of the church. What makes a church is when we gather together. So the church was gathered together. We see from, um, I can't remember if it's later in 1 Corinthians or Second Corinthians, but that is on the Lord's day, that they're gathering on the first day of the week, on a Sunday like we're doing today. He says, when you gather together, this is not a good thing. When you guys actually have church on Sundays, this is turning very bad. That's what he's saying, right? It's not for the better, but for the worse. And all of this has to do with these following instructions. What is making church worse? It's, it's, we're going to see it's regarding the Lord's Supper. That the way that they are engaging in the Lord's Supper is what is not making it better that they're getting. It's like, it's almost, it's, he's not saying it, but it's almost like I'm saying, it's almost better if you just stay home <laughs> than if you're going to come and do the Lord's Supper this way. All right, so let's see what's making this for the worse. Look at verses 18 and 19. For, here's the reason, here's why it's worse. In the first place, when you come together as a church, when you gather on Sundays, right, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. So what's the first problem as they gather as a church? That there's what? Divisions, right? That, that, this was, that there's divisions, which is striking against this idea that Paul's giving of unity, and he's saying this divisions are especially, we're going to see, happening when they take the Lord's Supper. Let's keep reading, verses 20 through 22. When you come together, see this, this emphasis again, come together, come together, come together, come together. This, this is Paul's emphasis, the importance here, is that we are together, we are gathered together. Verse 20, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating, Each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So from the context, uh, we understand that churches like this one in Corinth probably celebrated the Lord's Supper in the context of a larger church meal. Um, and, 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 and what does Paul say is describing? Right? That there are some members, probably wealthier members, that are using the time of the Lord's Supper to almost have their own little private meals. Right? We're gathered at the church, but we're going to kind of have our own little private meal during the Lord's Supper. And, and just as a hint, they weren't using grape juice. right? And they weren't even using really, really watered down grape juice that has no alcoholic content. Right? Because what was happening? They were, drunk. they were getting drunk, which means it had to have a little bit of alcoholic content. I'm not saying we need to do that, deacons. I'm not saying that, okay? But I, I'm saying that this is the context here. that They were getting drunk while there are other members, probably the poorer members, probably things that, the, uh, uh, you know, that that they were going hungry. So the rich members were treating it as their own private party. They were indulging themselves and they were excluding others. There was a division and they were, they were practicing communion. There, there's really no... Direct comparison today. There's an indirect in this division because of the the fact of how we celebrate the Lord's Supper. I mean, maybe the best thing is that maybe if there's a group that you're all hanging out at church and the and, and you're rouse passing the communion tray and you guys just keep the communion tray with oh we're just gonna we're thirsty we're hungry we we didn't eat breakfast this morning you guys are just gonna have our own little party over here. I mean, maybe that's the closest. I mean, it's just it's bizarre, right? But. The, the issue is, is, this is the actual practice, but Paul's striking, what the problem here is, is it's showing that there's this division in the body, that there is this disunity, and he admonishes this behavior. And, and to do that, Paul reminds them of what is the Lord's Supper about. So look at verses 23 through 26. For I see from the Lord, way first, what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, in the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, "This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me." In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, "This is the cup of the new covenant, my blood. Do this as often as you as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes." So we do this to proclaim the Lord, right? We're back to this redemptive context. Because of the redemptive context, that we are proclaiming the Lord's death, we're proclaiming the gospel, right? But the gospel is not just about me and God. The gospel has its effect also then how I love others and how that God brings us into part of his church. And look here, this is this is the this is where I wanted to get, which is taken, I think, sometimes a little out of context. And I've even done it myself until uh, some recent study. But look at this here. Verse 27 through 29. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body... Eats and drinks judgment on himself. So let's ask the question What does it mean to take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner? If we're living in sin. That's what we normally. That's what, I mean, yeah. That's how we would normally explain it, right? And I would say that's not wrong. That there's a need for self examination because of this context and recognizing what Jesus' death means, right? Is that. (laughs) <laughs> that 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 un, being unrepentant in our sin is a is contrary to the gospel. And I would say that does not it's not against what Paul is saying here. I would say that is not primarily what Paul is saying here. Because when we look at the context, that he's not primarily just talking about any sort of unrepentant sin. What's the context? Divisions. Divisions. Divisions yeah. Disunity. Did, did I, yeah. Historically, they were probably eating a meal mm-hmm. back early. This yes. was actually a full meal they were yeah. having together, and yeah. then they took the parts. Yes, yes. And so the wealthy people had more food and more wine. Yes. The less didn't have much, so that's why you had the division. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's part of Yeah. Historically, that's Yeah. How yeah. how we got it. And the divisions yeah. goes so far as to say, like at the beginning of the book, he says some people say, well, I'm a peace. Yes. A Catholic, uh, right. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. So there's multiple types of divisions that are playing themselves out. In one particular, is playing himself out in, in this in this communion. Mm-hmm. But in, in yeah. When uh, without concerning the body. Yes, that's where I was going. Yes. I've always read that as like okay, I need to focus on myself and my sin and. Mm-hmm. But in the context, mm-hmm. is this talking about the the local body of gathered regenerate believers, the church that like you're talking about? Grammatically, it could be either. Right. uh, I'm reading a book by Constantine Campbell and and, and, and he's he's in his Greek grammar. He's wonderful. And and he's talking about grammatically. This phrase can be used either way to mean the body in the sense without discerning Christ's body or without discerning the, the church body. And what Campbell says, the way Paul talks in this chapter and the chapter before, is there really a distinguishable difference That's his argument. He's saying, listen, the way that Paul's argument is in chapter 10 and chapter 11, you can't distinguish Christ's body from the church body because the church body is Christ's body. So so Paul is saying the way that you drink it in an unworthy manner by not discerning the body, you don't discern Christ's body by neglecting the church body. Right, so whether or not, we, either way you take it grammatically, if you take it meaning the church body, is very clear that, that the unworthy manner is you do this, when you take the communion and there is division you have between someone in the church, or you take communion and there's unforgiven sin or there is, is, is some sort of, of unreconciliation, some sort of disunity between you and someone in the church, that's an unworthy manner. Or you could say that if it does mean Christ's body, Paul's argument is Christ's body is reflected in the church body, so it's still this unworthy manner. How do you take the, 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 the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner? You're living in disunity and division in the church. Now, I'm not saying that this, one, this type of examination is good, and I'm not saying that's anti-scriptural. That, that's true. But Paul's focus is not primarily this. Paul's focus right here is this. Paul is saying, listen, when you take the communion, it's not just about, I've done everything I need to do for God and we're good and, you know, and it's just about me and God. Paul's saying, no, no, it's very much about you and other people. Are well, you... We, we say that. You, mm-hmm. you say if you... I, I, I'm not saying we don't. I'm saying that sometimes we, so, we really emphasize Why? this. Why? And, and, and Paul is saying... This one's very this one is is, is, is so and so important as well. Well and I think sometimes we think sin, oh I haven't admitted adultery, mm-hmm. I haven't killed anybody today. So I'm going to be in that yep. part. But oh gee whiz, you you know, you said something not nice to me. Yeah. I mean, you know. What is sin? You yeah, know, and like you're saying, if we're offending yeah. a brother yeah. or if you know I mean it all needs yeah to be washed out for that unity yeah. to take place. Yeah. And so, and, and Paul's saying that, man, that part of that, our self-examination when we take the Lord's Supper on, on those, those first Sundays of the month should be, do I have any division with anyone in our church body? Do I have any unreconciled grievances? If not, I should not take the communion, right? That, that's what Paul is saying here because that's what it is to take it um, in an unworthy manner. It's, it's, it's like, um, it's, it's, like it's, it's saying, Paul says, examine your relationships in the church, that's what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 23 and 24, right? If you go and, and you um, are aff- offering your, your sacrifice at the altar and you know someone has something against you, what are you supposed to do? Go to, them. go to them first, right? You go to them first. And so what's the solution? What does it look like then for us as a church to take the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner? Well, after talking about the consequences for the unworthy manner, just for time's sake, go to verses 33 and 34. Look at verse 33. So then, therefore, what does this mean? How do we then do this right? How does the Corinthian church make a correction? How do we take the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner? So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment about the other things. I will give directions when I come. So when you come together... So again, this a reminder that the Lord's Supper is for the gathering of the local church. Right? The Lord's Supper is not for Bible studies, it's not for youth camps. It's not for for families. It's not for a husband or for for a, for a husband and wife or a bride and groom at a wedding. It, it's not for anything that's going to separate a part from the whole. Because a crucial part of the Lord's Supper is this aspect that we are a whole. I think that there's the, and I would say that. I Let I me correct that. There's, there should be no part that's intentionally trying to separate the part from the whole. That's why I would disagree with some people saying, with the, and Ralph brought up the issue of shut-ins, right? Is that we're not intentionally trying to separate them. We're intentionally trying to make sure that there's a recognition that they're part of the body. But if you're intentionally separating in the sense of saying, "Ah, I know that we're not the whole church here, but we're going to have our own little thing. I mean, that's what the Corinthians were doing, Right? Um there are exceptions, but you have who's very sick. That's what I'm saying. Shut-ins, yeah. I would say if it's if it's a if it's a, when it's intentional is by saying, I know that our Bible study is not the whole church, but we really don't need the rest of them. We're gonna do communion on ourselves. Or I know our family is not the church. But really, we're not going to need the whole church right now. We're just going to do this as a family. That's intentional versus a, with a shut-in. It's an unintentional someone. Now, I, there's some people that disagree, but I, that's 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 what I would see is, well, as Paul's saying here. When my brother was passing away, and mm-hmm. he wouldn't go anywhere. I had to yeah. with him. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also, in that sense, it's kind of an intentionally joining. Yes. We have not forgotten about you. Yes. We as a body, and we're going to send Yes. You know, representatives to Yeah, do. making the mini one, yeah. right? Which is Paul in 1 Corinthians 10. The way I'm also taking this is like, we have order. Mm-hmm. We do communion
1: mm-hmm.
0: as a whole. Mm-hmm. It almost sounds like, oh, there's the communion table. They come right in and eat and leave you guys mm. all out of it. Yeah. You know, was yeah. it something like that? Too? I don't think, I don't think that that's, because there's some that would do that that way. Yeah. I don't think it's wrong. Um, because, I, but I think that there's one that, that pictures more what, what Paul, through the Holy Spirit, is trying to picture here. I think there is a unifying aspect that we do this together. We do literally wait for it till, till people have their, you know, and I know some churches will do the bread separately. You know, is, is there an aspect, a reminder of this, this context, and then they do the cup together? I think there's different ways to think about it. I don't think one's wrong, one's right. Um, I, I would say, and on that note of, of thinking through different ways of doing things, I, I think of that phrase, wait for one another, is the aspect of when we do this, we are meant to do this as an entire body, as an entire church. It, it, the Lord's Supper makes the many one. And so here, let me talk about one thing that I would say I would disagree with some of our faithful brothers and sisters in Christ on, but I think that is, is neglecting this verse. I'm not saying they're false churches, but I am saying they're neglecting this verse. And that's the fact that if you have a multi-site church, how do, you ga- how do you wait for one another and gather together? How do you wait for one another in a, a symbolism that we are all one body? We have waited for one another. We are all together here. We've gathered together. We've waited for one another, and we're doing this together. Now, on that same logic, how do you do that with a multi-service church? If you have multi-services, you might be at the same place with the same pastors, but you're not celebrating communion together. You're not you're not actually together. You're not waiting for one another. You're actually, I would say, different churches who just meet at the same place with the same leadership. And so I, I just again I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying I, I think that, that sometimes it's not thinking through what the application of of what Paul's saying here, that there's something important about the church that we are together. We are not the church because we all go to the same building. We're not the church just because we have, all have the, the same label as, as going to Oakers EV Free Church. We are the, the church because we are the ones who are gathering together on, on Sunday as the church. We are the ones taking communion together. We are waiting for one another. We are, the, the people that are there are the people that, that, that are constituting the church. Uh, let me read for, uh, one last quote from Jameson, and then I'll have a couple minutes for questions. Where Jameson, in his book, Understanding the Lord's Supper, I, I think it's very helpful. I didn't, I didn't bring it this morning. Little book, very helpful. Uh, The Lord's Supper is the meal where the whole family sits down together. To make the Lord's Supper something other than the meal where the whole church celebrates is to make it something other than the Lord's Supper. That's what Paul said earlier. It's not the Lord's Supper you take. To celebrate the Lord's Supper only in a gathering of the church as a whole doesn't downplay the Lord's Supper. Instead, it puts the Lord's Supper on the pedestal Jesus gave us, the time when the whole body comes together. By keeping the Lord's Supper a meal of the church, we preserve the Lord's Supper's biblical role in ratifying the unity of the church. The Lord's Supper defines our identity as a church and expresses our unity as a church because we do it together. By celebrating the Lord's Supper as a church, we remember that in the body of Christ, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. We remember that belonging to Christ means belonging to each other, to all the other members of the body. We remember that we are many in Christ. Though though we are many in Christ, we are one because we all share that one bread. We all drink of one cup. Uh, Any final questions, comments, thoughts? Yeah. I can, yeah. I wasn't planning on, it, but I can I wanted, I wanted to focus on, it. but let me. Get, I'll try to get back to that. Yeah, next week I want to wrap up a, a few odds and ends of um, how do we define the Lord's Supper. I'll, I'll try. To, I'll try to hit back in, in 1 Corinthians eleven on that. We're going to look at also things of who should take the Lord's Supper and and what should be, just practically what should be going through your mind and what should we be thinking about as we take the Lord's Supper and just trying to get trying to wrap some things up very practically. And I'll try to I'll try to remember to hit back in, in 1 Corinthians eleven there too. Yeah, Elias. Like what you're saying, you're talking about community context and having the whole body gathered. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'm not quite remembering how we do communion here, but don't we do communion after we've intentionally sent the children who might not be regenerated, mm-hmm. but also their teachers who are? Regenerated? No, we we do it before before we just dis- before dismissal. Mm-hmm. And I would say that's another thing. I would say that that churches who se- separate, especially youth, and, and even with children. I would say it's a question of a, a, a Baptistic Baptist practice. And, I would say if... That that's true. I would say, that, yeah. yeah. I would say there's a certain point where you just get, I mean, what do you do with parking lot? What do you do with nurse? I mean, there's some difficult yeah. things, you know. Um, it, it, just, it comes down to wisdom. Um, but I, I think that the Baptistic practice, when you, and that's what I'm going to talk about next time, is it's saying there's a link between baptism communion membership and and thinking through some of those 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 interconnections together and so yeah other thoughts questions those are good thanks for those thoughts all right let me pray for us father we just thank you we thank you Lord. That i think of, of your description in ephesians lord that we were once those who were not a people we were alienated from your promises we were alienated from your people we were we were lord just just we were aliens god and yet you loved us and you sent your son and you not only reconciled us with yourself, but you reconciled us and made us part of your people. And Father, we thank you that, that, that we can love you who we don't see by loving the, the body that you've given us that we do see. So Father, we pray that you'd help us to increase in love and unity as a church. We pray that you help us to grow that individually and collectively, God, that we would display that we are your followers by the way that we love one another. Thank you for the, the, the opportunity to remember, be reminded of that, to be examine ourselves, not only our personally, but also to examine ourselves relationally every month, God, so that we could display to a watching world that we are your disciples because of the way that we are seeking to excel still more and how we would be unified and love one another. So we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.